Thank you for coming. We'll discuss and continue to discuss Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. This is a little thick philosophically for a new guest, but I'll try to put it into some context, knowing that the discourse of transcendental subject matters, even though we may not be able to understand all that's being relayed, is much beneficial to us, just to hear the discourse. We understand that there is some, just in coming together and discussing spiritual matters, it's it's a good thing. We're discussing the matter of understanding how the Lord can advent into human society, makes his become present among us from time to time throughout historical events, and how, although he comes into human society, he's not under the influence of the material the material manifestation and the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that we're subject to. He's God. He's transcendental to all that. We're in a very important part of this philosophical discourse because this subject matter is is perplexing that it appears when the Lord advents into human society, when he takes birth among us, or appears to take birth among us, of course, our birth and his birth are not the same. He's omniscient, omnipotent, so when he manifests in human society, it's it's like not like our manifestation. We end up here. We don't know where we came from. We don't know what our prior situation was, what brought us to this particular birth in human society, what we don't really know. All we know is, oh, here we are, a little baby, and we're being cared for, and we gradually grow up, and we we acquire a sense of self in relationship to the environment. We adapt that sense of self as our true self, as our full and total being. We co- totally buy into it, and our sense of self is really influenced by a lot of factors, but particularly the environment. Some say it's nurture, some say it's nature. The truth of the matter is it's both nurture and nature. We come with a nature, and that nature has something to do with the nurturing that the environment gives us. We have certain, we're born into a certain family. This family has a social status, maybe wealthy, maybe poor, maybe good, maybe bad, uh, born into a country, maybe good, maybe bad, born maybe into a religious tradition, maybe good, maybe bad, so many things. And generally speaking, we adapt to the environment according to our nature. We also come with our goods and bads. So, that's much different from a manifestation of the Lord into human society. 
Now, in Western culture, we don't have a lot of experience of, of a tradition that recognizes the descent of the Lord into human society. In fact, primarily in Western culture, we have one figurehead of divinity, and that's like the main thing. So in Christianity, we have Lord Jesus Christ, and we accept him either as God incarnate or the Son of God, whatever. however we may see him according to the sect of that religion as it's evolved through the ages of man in the past 2,000 years. Um, most all of that that has come into Western society now, although there's a different church on every street corner, practically speaking, the overall concept is this is divinity. This is the divine. It may be God. It may be the Son of God. It may be, you know, at least it's a, it's a pretty significant spiritual figurehead which has greatly influenced human society for the last 2,000 years for good and for bad because it doesn't matter what tradition we come from and what we accept as religious religiosity in our life or spirituality uh, it can be properly utilized and as we are well aware it can be misutilized now we come to this from a from studying a culture of an Indian culture, an older culture than even Christianity, wherein there's the acceptance of a multiplicity of various advents of the Supreme Lord throughout the ages of mankind. And it's a much broader outlook. So that's what we're discussing here tonight, is a broader outlook of different incarnations of the Supreme Lord and how he inter how these various incarnations of the Lord interface with the world and how we should see that. First, we should understand that God is not the same as ourselves. He has He's in his own... He's in his own category. We're not in that category. We're, as I said, we don't, we had no, we basically, we didn't make a determination as I'm going to come now, I'm going to accomplish this, I'm going to help humanity in this way, I'm going to nourish the spiritual growth of humanity according to the culture that's, the, the, the culture of the day, so, the Lord says in the Bhagavad Gita, which is a time that he came 5,000 years ago, 3,000 years before Lord Jesus Christ, he, was, he invented and he, he gave a lot of instructions, core instructions to his disciple, which have come through time to us today. And one of those instructions is, Yada, Yadahi, Dharma, Shyaglanir, Bhavati, Bharata. Whenever and wherever there's a decline of religiosity in human society, I try to rectify the situation. 
well, I'm God. I do rectify the situation. So I come again and again simply to correct when human society goes off the rails, I'll come in and I'll set them back on the rails again. Inevitably, they're going to go off the rails because that's our nature. We're in an environment that's foreign to us and we're accepting it as ourself and the environment is not the best for, for our spiritual growth. So Krishna's coming again and again. Wake up. Realize your true spiritual identity. Don't get wrapped up in the temporariness of the day-to-day world around you and make the primary objective of your life your spiritual pursuit because that's the only thing that will endure throughout your life. And it's the only thing of significance that you take with you. You're not going to take any of the other stuff. You're not going to take your wife. You're not going to take your kids. You're not going to take your wealth. You're not going to take your strength. You're going to have to leave all that behind. So if you're going to take anything, take take something of significance. And what that would be is a foothold in spiritual life and a life dedicated to spiritual progress that will be beneficial to you going forward. It's a, it's a, it's a significant life change to, to redirect our consciousness in a way that we can see things for what they are and see our material existence for what it isn't. And that is, it is not something that is of very much significance in the greater scheme of our eternal existence. It can take us off the rails. One human life can lead us off the rails for a while. A short while or a long while. So, we're talking about here in this part, is the Lord's coming into human society and how he's dealing with both those people that recognize the significance of spirituality in their life, recognize the significance of his manifestations into human society, and those that are not so inclined. They're not interested in spiritual progress. They're interested in material acquisition, material enjoyment, material situations. So, Bhagavan's, the Lord's impartiality and his intention in regard to the creative act. So we've already come to the conclusion. It's already been presented up to this point in our studies that There's only one intention in the Lord's creative act, and that is to facilitate this spiritual growth and to facilitate specifically those amongst us who are pursuing that such spiritual growth. So that's the only the only 
thing that he wants to facilitate through the whole manifestation of the material energy and through the whole cosmic display and the whole specific arrangements for all of us coming about from our power activities, our karma, uh, his main intent in advancing in human society is to, is to help us work towards um, a position in spirituality, specifically for those people that truly have an interest, the devotees. He really, as he said in the Bhagavad Gita, as he said to Arjuna on that battlefield, uh, yada yadahi dharmasya. So, um, this is the real intent. So here we're, we're in a section, it's called Asuras killed by Krishna attain Brahma Sayuja. Now personally I've always kind of had a little bit of a difficulty in in this area because Brahma Sayuja or merging into the effulgence of the Lord without an opportunity to have a loving relationship with him has always been something that's like why would you want to do that and it's really I, I've always looked what's kind of a punishment I have no interest in in merging into the into the into the effulgence of God if I can't see the face of God it wouldn't it wouldn't have any any attraction for me so when I hear a Brahma Sayuja, I would think, well, from my viewpoint, it's like a punishment. So that's nicely explained here. And we're just going to walk through this and unpack it uh, a little bit this evening. So Srila Jiva Goswami writes in this 93rd Anucheta. Now this Anucheta, this is the last subsection of this section, Anucheta. So it's the last subsection and this carries forward all the way through to, I believe, the 104th Anucheta. Because what we, come in, what we come into is we come into a discussion here where Parikshit's also in a quandary. He also is, is questioning. It sure looked like when God came down and advented, he was showing favor to the devotees and he was showing disfavor to the people that weren't devotionally inclined. Well, that would show partiality on the part of God, that he's loving one son or daughter and he's, he's showing disdain for the other one because they're not interested in their spiritual life. In fact, they're so much uninterested that they oppose the devotees of God. They might hang him on a cross and say, you know, so sure looks like God's taking sides here, but what kind of a God takes sides? Aren't all the living entities God's offspring? So what's the favoritism all about? 
That's with Parikshit's question. What's this? This looks. This looks to be not what I would conceive of as the Supreme's interactions in the world of man. That he's favoring this the righteous and he's not favoring the unrighteous. They're also his. I mean, you may have a naughty child, but he's still your child. <laughs> Isn't he? It's not like, what are you going to do? Throw him out in the cold? Go get out of here. I'll keep my nice child that likes me and loves me and shows, you know, shows me favor and interacts and listens to what I tell them. And the one that's naughty and bad, I'm just going to kick him to the curb. So that's Parikshit Maharaja's question. Here we have, you know, we have, we're seeing now, he's just, the, the the story of, of Prahlad Maharaj and he's just heard this story of Prahlad Maharaj and Lord Nasringa coming to his rescue and he's like wait a minute, whoa I, I don't get it that's what he's saying I just don't get it and it's interesting I want to read you something from the very end of this Anacheda commentary uh, and it's the very last paragraph. So this is this is a perplexing subject, and um, such an Orion writes here at the end. Vidura also vo- voiced a similar doubt. How can Bhagavan? How can God, who is beyond the gunas of Maya, the influences of the material energy? Engage in the acts of creation, sustenance, and dissolution of the cosmos. So we've already gone over this extensively. This reinforces the fact that this is a significant doubt that perplexes the devotees of God. It is for this reason that Sri Jiva deliberates on it at length. <clears throat> and we've been at this section for quite a while. This is a very, you know... It's been a very deep discussion that we've gone into for the last couple of months, it seems. Um, This dilemma is one of the troublesome topics discussed in Vedanta. So this is, even if we we look at all the the copus of, of Vedic knowledge coming from the East, the, this is a perplexing thing. How is how is this? How's God interact with the world and not? And he's not influenced the way we are. And how do we deal with this apparent partiality on His part? Shrimad Bhagavatam, being a elucidation of Vedanta, naturally tackles this subject elaborately. So, and then we have Jiva taking it out of the context of the Bhagavatam, the natural commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, and, and, and highlighting those areas of the Bhagavatam that give us a, a, an entrance into the deep explanation of these points that he wants to present to us as, as students. So this is also a subsection, and it is a long subsection. And we will... And as I said, it carries 
forward. And it's it's something that we really need to to concentrate on to to enter into this mystery. Because it sure looks like when God comes into human society, he he has favorites. He, he's picking favorites here. So how is how is that impartial partiality on his part? What's really going on? So the annotator reads, Furthermore, the fact that Bhagavan does not personally act to sustain the cosmos does not disprove that the avatars are endowed with the intrinsic potency. The sole purpose of Bhagavan is to please his devotees through the absolute transcendence of his self-willed Leela. Consequently, because whatever he does in this regard is without attachment or malice toward all others, he is devoid of bias. Rather, just as the tongue afflicted with jaundice develops an aversion for sugar, so even when non-devotees are subjected to Bhagavan's chastisement, it is simply for their welfare because it counteracts their wickedness. That's just the first paragraph of what Jeeva's immediately saying to us is if you want to understand this, you have to understand the way the Lord's material energy works on us according to our interactions with the world around us. We're subjected to good and bad reactions, karma. So as we act good, we get a good result. If we act bad, we get a mere, you know, a, a, a troublesome result. And to the degree that we are in the illusion that this material body and this material circumstance is the all in all of our existence, to the extent that we don't understand that there's something spiritual in us, to that extent, we are diseased by the material nature. We're in a diseased condition. And to the extent that we are allowing our consciousness not to turn towards our spiritual well-being, to our spiritual self, and to a loving exchange with God, to that extent, you could say we're sick. So Jiva's saying, and you can compare that sickness to jaundice. And jaundice has a particular characteristic. The characteristic of jaundice is when you have jaundice, you can take sugar, which is, in all of our experiences, very sweet to, to taste. You can take sugar, take sugar at that time under the jaundice condition, and it tastes bad. In fact, it tastes bitter. It tastes the exact opposite of what it is. So we use sugar to sweeten everything up. In our, and, and all of a sudden, we become uh, diseased with jaundice. And that sugar that's always sweet, it tastes bitter to us. So that's where Jeeva is starting to explain to us. If you're not seeing... All of these activities of the Supreme Lord when he descends in human society as positive, as nourishing, as relishable, 
to the extent that you're not experiencing God in 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 the most favorable of 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 circumstance because he's only looking out for your own well-being and everybody's well-being in all circumstances to the extent that you're not seeing that and you're not able to comprehend that understand it's just because of you're sick the material energy has has got you down you're bedridden ridden by maya basically and even sugar doesn't taste sweet at that time so let's start there if you want to understand god's interactions <coughs> you have to understand that everything he does is for the betterment of everyone including those people who oppose him and who oppose his devotees. He doesn't do anything that's not ultimately beneficial to whomever he has interaction with. And he has interaction with everyone. He's situated in everyone's heart. So there's nothing he's doing and there's no activity that he's performing in relation to us individually or in relationship to us collectively that's not for our benefit. Start there. If you don't see that, then your consciousness is the problem. It's not that God has a problem because you don't you're not seeing things properly. In this regard, the following quote from the Bhagavatam is pertinent. And then Jiva quotes a verse from the Bhagavat Purana. from the ninth canto. Indeed, O king, other than the bestowal of mercy, Maya, upon those devotees who are as dear as his very own self, there is no cause for the appearance and actions of Bhagavan who is transcendental, the witness of all, and the self of all beings. The activities of the Lord's Maya is meant for the birth, sustenance, and dissolution of all souls, while his grace is intended to grant them self-realization and cessation, cessation of the cycle of birth and death. So this important point as far as, basically, Jiva's opened up here, and now he's quoting this verse, and he's bringing... He's bringing us to the understanding that <clears throat> the material manifestation is going on more or less of its own accord. So you could say God's hands off for the most part. We create our good or bad fortune and the material nature is set up according to to those rules, more or less. For everything, you know, we have 
we can see naturally in, in human society. And we can also see naturally in the, in the physical world around us that for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. So that applies not only to the, the physics of the world, it also applies to this, this interface that we have with the world. So if we're mean, nasty, vile, vicious people, guess what the world's going to give back to us? It's going to give back to us those same, that same energy that we put out is going to come back. If we're kind, gentle, loving, merciful, then we can expect others to treat us in the same manner. It doesn't always appear to be that way, but ultimately, if we're, if we're discriminating, we can, we can, with good discrimination, even trace back why good things happen, bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. There's always something there in our background that's led to that kind of a circumstance. Now, we, our tracing can only go back so far. We have that limitation. So sometimes we're, we're in a quandary. What the heck? Think about it. Here we are looking, looking to third world countries from our place on high in, in American society and we're seeing third world countries and the children don't even live to be four or six months old. They, they're they dying of, of starvation and dysentery and a hundred other diseases. Why in that? What did they do? What kind of God allows that to happen? That would be a, a natural question. But as I said, we're limited. We can only get back so far. And that's as far as we can remember in this life. We can't see into our prior lives. Now, you could go to the local corner clairvoyant shop and maybe somebody could give you some little insight there. Or you could go over to India and there's shops over there with with guys that look to the stars and say, ah, this is your, you know, astrology. You were born under a bad sign. So therefore you could only live for six months. So, I mean, these are things that an intelligent person will, will inquire into because such inequities as that are troublesome. And certainly, if we're not seeing them comprehensively, they could put God in a bad light. And that's what Jiva's shedding on, on our consciousness is you need to be able to see through these things to the, to the definitive spiritual understanding that's available to you from scripture, from the sadhus, from your own spiritual going in, 
going in to go out, you know. So if you can do that, then there'll be there's there's a lot of good prospect for you in, in spiritual advancement. And if you can't, then it's a fact. You're going to throw your hands in the world uh, in the air and say, "Doesn't make any religion makes spirituality. It doesn't make any sense to me. I can't see my way through this. I can't work my. I mean, we have trouble working through day to day, day to day mental anguish and and situations and you know that come to us. What to speak of stepping back from those and diving deeply into these kind of philosophical matters. But these are the things that do matter to us. Because the day-to-day stuff, it's here today and gone tomorrow. Week-to-week, month-to-month, boyhood to youth, to middle age, to old age, to all that stuff, it comes and go. it's going to come and go. But this stuff will endure. This stuff will carry us. This knowledge is never lost. That's that's we have that much faith in Scripture, and those people that have a deeper understanding than we ourselves may have. So when Krishna says there's no loss or diminution for any progress that you make in spiritual pursuit then we can take that to the bank. We'll continue. According to this statement of Sri Sukha, Sukadeva's talking to Maharaj Pariksit, at the end of the ninth canto, during the dissolution, the jiva is merged in Paramatma, along with its limiting adjuncts. So even, what it's saying here is, even when the whole universe is wrapped up, now, Locally, our universe is wrapped up either sooner or later, but it's wrapped up when we leave this body. It's like you're out of here and off you go to another situation which you generally don't have any control of. There's higher beings that are determining what's your next birth, just like they were there determining Why'd you get this birth? Why were you born in this society? Why weren't you born in that third world country? And why did you live further than six or eight or ten months? Why? Or what to speak of the dilemma of our current human society, which has become so, so off the rails. And we need Krishna to come. <laughs> you die, you die. Because... <laughs> You know, sometimes the the child doesn't even make it out of the womb. What kind of a life is that? So you don't even get to breathe your first breath, and they've already your 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 life's already been taken away from you due to some circumstance. According to this statement of Sri Sukha, at the end of the ninth canto, during the dissolution, the jiva is merged in Paramatma along with its limiting adjuncts. So we take our karma karma with us, whatever our that's what upadi means, limiting adjunct. Whatever, wherever we are, whatever hang-ups we have, and whatever reactions we have to the way we have, were hung up in the material world and how we reacted to those things, those go with us. 
from one body to the next. And hence, there is no possibility of engaging in meritorious action. When the universe is wrapped up, we're in a state of, of suspension. We, we'd have no body to, to perform acts through, so we're just sitting there until the universe comes around again. Consequently, at the beginning of a new creation cycle, Paramatma blesses the jiva by generating its adjunctive body. Our body full of adjuncts is, comes again. Paramatma blesses the jiva by generating its adjunctive, adjunctive body so that it can perform pious acts. This conclusion is in conformity with Sridhar Swami's commentary on these verses. The following statement is always re also relevant on the topic at hand. Another quote. This one from the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam. You, O Lord of the universe, have descended on earth with your plenary manifestation in order to protect the virtuous and chastise the wicked. Consequently, we, your devotees, do not understand how anyone can transgress your command or how people protected by you can suffer the results of their own karma. Sridhar Swami's comments on these prayers of Sri Krishna offered by the kings imprisoned by Jarasandha. Even though you have descended to protect the virtuous, we are suffering. We're the kings. What we do wrong? We're good to our subjects. And all of a sudden, along comes this guy who's stronger than us. He's a bigger king. He's got a bigger army. He's, more, he's got more talents. And he puts us all in prison. So he's gathered up all the kings and put us in prison. We didn't do anything to deserve this, did we? That's what, they, that's what their prayer to, to Lord Krishna is. What's going on here? And here's this guy. The prayer goes on. Uh, why is that? Meanwhile, others like Jarasandra, who locked them all up, or actually they were locked up by somebody else who uh, I can't remember. Balmasura. Uh, but Jara, they, they point out <coughs> Jarasandra, who's another king, and he wasn't locked up, are disobeying even your own order. So here's another king that is not godly, that doesn't even accept that there is a, a god, and if there is, he wants to fight with him. So he's, he's your enemy. He's an enemy of the saintly. He's an enemy of God. But he's, he's out free, running free. Moreover, even those people who have protected by, are protected by you are suffering from their karma. All this we do not understand. The implication here is that neither scenario conforms to the norms of logic. Doesn't make sense. Why? According to this comment, although Bhagavan's Leela is independent, the Lord comes and he does as he pleases, not like us. It is only Maya, the performer of unaccomplished tasks, which, is, which impels and arranges for the activities of the Devas and the Asuras. 
It is because of her that the specific actions of the jivas, who are endeavoring separately according to their own karma, occur, being synchronized with their corresponding auspicious and inauspicious omens. This is coming to something. I know it's thick, but go. <laughs> this is seen in the world also, but sometimes when Maya is unable to follow the trajectory of the Lord's Leela, interesting point he was bringing out here, then only the independent nature of the Supreme Controller becomes manifest. And then we will go in the next class into an example. So here we have Krishna going to school, pretending like he's a standard student. He's been educated in the Vedas. He's ready to go home and it's time to pay the teacher for his tuition. Guru Dakshin. So he goes to his teacher. Thank you very much for the education. What can I do for you? Well, his teacher, Sandapanamuni, says, well, I lost a son. He went to the ocean and he disappeared. I'd like him back. <laughs> wow. But I guess if you have the wherewithal to know that the student you just taught was the Lord himself, you can ask for something extraordinary and expect a result from him. So Krishna says, well, okay, I'm, I'm your student and you've made this request. And I'll fulfill it. So he goes and he he confronts the situation. But Sandapani's Muni's son had already been eaten, consumed by a, a sea demon, according to the pastime. Where's the body? What's he gotta do? What can Krishna do in that situation? So what Jiva's going to point out as we go forward here is generally the Lord's Leelas conform within the, within the confines of the natural laws of nature. But sometimes he has to do something extraordinary outside of those confines of regular material nature as he did in this instance. So in this particular instance, he was able being God, to do whatever was necessary to fulfill the desire of his teacher. He is transcendental to the modes of material nature. He, he can do whatever he likes. I'll stop there for this evening.